0: All right, our text for this morning is John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17, and this is the word of Almighty God. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid on his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father... I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you will love one another. Now pray with me, friends. Lord God, thank you again. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the music we get to sing. Thank you for the love of Jesus. And as we spend time together here today, please, God, overwhelm us with a grasp of your greatness and your grace. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Where the law says do, the grace of God Says done I think that's good don't you in every religion in the world outside of biblical Christianity a person works his or her way to their deity through personal obedience through good behavior follow the rules Be a good boy or girl, and maybe if your good deeds outweigh your bad, maybe you'll be okay. That is not biblical Christianity. How many of you are glad about that? None of us will ever work our way to God by obedience to the laws and commands of God because we are already guilty of falling short of the glory of God. We are incapable of perfection. So we're not ever going to impress God through our obedience. Instead, if we want to begin a right relationship with God, we come to Jesus Christ in faith and we receive the forgiveness of God based on what Jesus has already done. As you know, this doesn't mean that your life doesn't change once you've got God's forgiveness. When God forgives us, when God makes us his children, God changes us and he does it from the inside. Those who know Jesus learn that we find joy when we honor the God who saved us. So we change in how we live. We change in what we think. We don't change to earn salvation. We change because we've been given salvation as a gift. What does a changed life look like? In Matthew chapter 22, there was a teacher who asked Jesus, what in all the word of God is the most important thing? And Jesus summarizes it in just a couple of verses In verse 35, Matthew 22, it says, One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus said, the most important thing for you to grasp are two principles. Love God with everything you've got and love others as yourself. In truth, they roll together, don't they? I don't love people well if that love does not stem from a love of God. I do not love God if I refuse to love people made in God's image. And those things applied by scripture are what a changed life looks like. Today we're going to continue walking through Jesus, teaching his disciples in the upper room the night of his betrayal. And we're going to see these two key principles front and center, love God, love others. Let's find four points. We're going to take note of them. You can write them down as we learn how to please God and how to abide in Christian love. So point number one, for you new folks, this is how we do notes around here. Abide in God's love for joy. I don't sneak points up on you. Abide in God's love for joy. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All right, I got a question for you. What's the most shocking sentence you've ever heard? What are the most unbelievable words somebody ever said to you? You might think that they're words from your boss. You ever been shocked by something your boss said? They might be from your doctor. They might be from your spouse. But in point of fact, the most radical sentence you have ever heard, and I know this, is only three words long. God loves you. Why is that sentence crazy? God is holy. God is infinite in his perfections. And all of us, every last one of us, has failed to live up to God's perfection. That God would let us live at all is stunning that God would provide us an earth to walk on and air to breathe is outrageous. But to say that God loves us, that's beyond belief. When God created humanity, he made people in his image. And something about what we are as human beings gives us a value that is inestimable. And because of that image... God loves all people. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that God loves everyone in the same way or with the same results. But God loves his creation. Yet, what we're seeing here in Jesus' words is beyond the general love of God for human beings. Jesus, God the Son, is speaking to followers of God about the special, unique, soul-saving, life-changing love of God for those who are under God's grace. In John 1, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says, But to all who did receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Every person who will let go of living for self and trust in Jesus for grace is adopted by God into God's very family as God's own children. And friends, that love is unique. And that love is... Is huge. So here's the question. Are you a believer in Jesus? And if you are. Know this. God. Loves. You. God loves you. With a kind. Gracious. Enduring love. That will never. Fail. I will add here. If you are a believer in Jesus. Nothing you could do could make God love you less and nothing you could do could make God love you more. Now here's a question. How big is the love of God for those he has saved? I don't know, what word would you guys use to describe how big the love of God is for the ones He saved? Yeah, yeah, big, they say. Well, look at verse 9. As the Father, Jesus said, has loved me, so have I loved you. Don't let that slip by. As the Father has loved Jesus, God the Son, so Jesus, God the Son, has loved you. Now, go ahead and ask yourself this question How much love is there between God the Father and God the Son? The answer answer is that the love of the persons of the Holy Trinity for one another is a love that is as massive as God is himself. The love of God for his own holy perfections is infinite. Because God's own perfections are infinite, his love for his perfections are infinite. And if the love of Jesus for you is as the Father loves the Son, then dear friends... The love of God for his saved children is infinite. God loves you, Christian, with the love that is just as great as the love of God the Father for Jesus, his son. It makes sense then for Jesus to call on us to abide in his love. Abide there. Live there. Make your home there. Dwell there. Never let yourself get over the amazement that grips your soul when you realize that our infinite, holy, perfect God would love you with the very love that he gives to his infinite, holy, perfect son. Now, there's more, though, than ab- to abiding in the love of Jesus than just you being amazed by it. But by the way, you should be amazed by this. Just pausing. Are you amazed by this? Because if this doesn't blow you away, I think something's missing. I hope it's not my fault. Verse 10, though, Jesus says, Do You want to abide in his love? Then keep his commandments. Back in chapter 14, three times Jesus said, Loving him and keeping his word go hand in hand. Verses 15, verses 21, verses 23. You say, But wait a minute, Travis. Didn't you just say to us that the faith is not about me keeping a bunch of rules? Yes, I most certainly did tell you that the faith is not about you keeping a bunch of rules to earn your way to God. And Jesus is not changing the rules on us here. The Savior has already told us of the stunning love of God. And it is to our good that we abide in, that we rest in, that we... Swim in that love. What Jesus is telling you here is not how to earn God's love. You can't do that. What Jesus is telling you is how for you to rest in, remain in, abide in, and experience the love of God. All through his life in ministry, Jesus kept the commandments of his father. And in doing so, Jesus lived in the love of his father. Jesus experienced his father's love to the full because Jesus kept his father's commandments. And Jesus wants you to experience God's love to the full by your keeping his commands once you're saved. And then verse 11 gives you something to help here. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Again, be ready to be amazed. Jesus wants you and me to have his very joy. Jesus wants us to have joy that is full, that is complete, that is soul satisfying. And the reason Jesus has told you and me to abide in the love of God by obeying his commands is because Jesus wants you and me to have full joy. This is the good news of the good news, the gospel. Salvation by grace through faith results in obedience. And that very obedience... Results in Christian joy. Listen to me. God made you for one clear purpose. He made you to magnify his glory as someone created in his image. And when you do what you were created to do, you will get the joy of living out your purpose. When you do what you were created to do, You get the joy of experiencing the love of God, the very God you magnify. When you obey the commands of God, you get joy. So many people think of following God as a set of rules. Do this, don't do that. Some people believe that God doesn't care about their joy. In fact... Some people think of God as somebody up there who's doing everything he can to keep people from having a good time. They think of obedience like taking your vitamins and eating the greens that you didn't like as a kid because they're good for you. I don't want them, but they're good for me. You got to do it. The way some of you think about exercise. But listen to me. If you think of God as someone who does not want your joy, that that only wants to keep you from having a good time, you don't know God. You don't know God's word. The commands of God exist for the good of God's creation. And only God, I mean, if God made us, doesn't it make sense that only God would know what's really best for us? And God calls us to obey. God doesn't call us to obey to bring us down. But he wants to move us into the highest of possible joys. Abide in God's love. It's an amazing and good thing. The love of God is what you were made for. Make your home in the love of God. How do you do that? Come to Jesus in faith and then obey the commands of God. And when you get it right, You follow God not out of obligation, but because you're hunting the greatest joy you've ever imagined. Now let's go forward and I'll show you some ways we can abide in the love of God through obedience for joy. Point number two, love one another sacrificially. Love one another sacrificially. Look at verses 12 and 13. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So if we understand that abiding in the love of God is to our joy, and that obedience to the commands of God brings glory to God, which produces our joy, then it makes sense that what Jesus is going to do now is to show you what it looks like to obey Him, to abide in God's love for joy. And the first command Christ highlights for us here is something He's already said to His disciples earlier that evening. Back in chapter 13, the Savior said this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We've also seen Jesus say that loving your neighbor as yourself, that is a summary of what it means to obey the full law of God. That, of course, and loving God with all you've got. So there's no way this should surprise you that Jesus, when he points us toward obedience to the Lord for our good and for our joy, that Jesus would say to you, love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13 here, Jesus helps us to see what kind of love we're talking about. There's no greater love that one could have for another than that he laid on his life for his friends. This, of course, is exactly how Jesus loved us, isn't it? We were guilty before God. We deserved a punishment that we could never survive. And Jesus, who deserved no punishment at all, took our punishment on himself so we could be forgiven and welcomed into the family of God. Jesus laid down his life to do us good. If we want to abide in the love of Jesus, make our home there, we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ As Jesus has loved us. And that means we love each other sacrificially. Maybe the most important question I can have you answer here is this question what is love? You know, the world's not good at answering that question, right? You guys remember old music? Tina Turner said, What's love got to do with it? Van Halen asked, How will I know when it's love? To which they answered, I can't tell you, but it lasts forever. Thanks, I think. The Beatles said all you need is love, but then they broke up. What is love? Love is a commitment to another person's good. How do you feel about that as a definition? Emotion's part of it, by the way, no doubt about it. But the truest and deepest love that a human being has will transcend emotion. Love seeks to do another good, even when doing that other person good is costly. Think about it. What do you guys think really expresses love more? A young couple who's giddy and goofy about each other? Or that couple 50 years later, one of them's taking care of the other one in a hospital bed? True love is the most loving when it involves someone doing another good, a commitment to another's good. Jesus says love will seek to do another person good, even when doing them that good might cost us our very lives. Now, let me be careful when I talk about that, because when I say you do someone good even if it's painful to you, some people will misinterpret that. Listen to me. Love never accepts abuse from the one they love. Love never turns a blind eye to sin. You know why? Because if I turn an eye to your sin, then I'm not doing you good. True love, however, is willing to suffer hardship for the sake of doing another person good. So Christians, as you think about how you can live in the love of God, start with the call to love one another. Be eager to do one another good. Rearrange your life so that you can do good for other people here in the church body. Be willing to let go of your rights, to sacrifice your preferences, to give up your time, to give up your resources, to do what it takes to genuinely love other people who are in the family of God. To do that honors Christ. To do that will lead to your joy. Let's go on. Third point. I love this one. Rejoice in the friendship of Jesus. Rejoice in the friendship of Jesus. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, that I've made known to you. You guys know in the Old Testament, there are two individuals who are called the friend of God. Abraham gets that label, Moses gets that label. So if Jesus goes forward and starts talking about his followers as his friends, that's amazing too. I already said this, Jesus is not here telling us we do good deeds and earn our position. But in verse 14, Jesus gives his disciples a way to see, to measure if they are behaving as his friends. We are abiding in God's love. We are being friends of Jesus. How would I know if I'm abiding in God's love? How would I know if I'm being Jesus' friend? The answer is when we do what he commands. Are you Jesus' friend? Verse 15, we see that Christ has every right to call the disciples his servants. The Greek word there for servant is the form of the word doulos. It's the word for slave. Jesus is telling his disciples he wants to treat them as friends, not simply as slaves. What's the difference? It has to do with the issue of Revelation. The job of a slave is to obey the command of the master, period. The slave has no right to question the master's plan, the master's motivation. In fact, the slave has no right even to know what the master's plan or the master's motivation is. Why? Slaves obey. That's it. But Jesus said to his followers, his disciples, I'm not calling you slaves, I'm calling you friends. Jesus says All that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus, God the Son, has let the disciples in on the true plan and the purpose of God. Jesus has told his disciples who he is. Jesus has told his disciples about his death to come. Jesus has promised them, I will see you again alive on the other side of the grave. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come to you, to comfort you, to teach you. Jesus has let the disciples in on the plan. He's treated them like friends, not merely as servants. But what about you and what about me? It's almost two millennia after Jesus said these words to his disciples. Can we be the friends of Jesus too? Here's the good news. The friendship Jesus gave to his disciples is the very friendship he gives Christians right here, right now, today. Jesus already told you he loves you with the very same love he loves that the Father loves him. Now remember this as well, there's no difference between the Father and the Son in the will of God God the Father therefore loves all of those who belong to Him with a love as great as His love for His Son. So I think it's sensible for you to understand if you're a Christian, you can be both a child of God and a friend of Jesus because Jesus finished the work that was required to bring you into that relationship. Let me give you two halves of being a friend of Jesus. When Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command you, again, he's not saying you can earn my friendship by your good behavior. You have his love settled, done deal. You don't work your way into his love. But the point is, when you have his love, when you are his friend, you will Respond in obedience. If you are his friend, you will obey. If you obey, you show the truth of the fact that you are his friend. Be clear. Your obedience does not earn your place in God's family. Have I said that enough today for for you to believe that I mean it? But can I say this to you and I want you to listen? There is no such thing as a true child of God or a true friend of God who refuses to follow the commands of God. you guys agree with that too? There is no such thing as a true child of God or a true friend of God who refuses to obey the commands of God. Obedience does not make you God's child, but a total lack of obedience may in fact be evidence that you are not in a loving relationship with God. Now, we know none of us is perfect in our daily lives, right? I assume that if you're looking for perfection, you can't get much closer than K, <laughs> right? K. Right. Yeah, there you go. Amen. <laughs> I did not know how that was going to go. <laughs> Let's be honest. Do you think you're going to be perfect this side of the grave? you still got your skin on, folks. You're still in the flesh. You're still in the world. And you're not going to live out perfection this side of the grave. A day is coming when God is going to give us brand new bodies and cleanse the entire world of all sin. But until that day comes, we will struggle, and we will sometimes fail, But listen to me, if you know Jesus, you won't want to. We'll never have an excuse to fail. We'll never be able to pretend that we're not to blame for our actions. But we will grow. And we will fight the battle. And we will battle against sin. And we will battle against temptation. And we will continue to repent until the day we die or Jesus returns. That's Christian Living At the same time, following Jesus gives evidence that you do know Jesus. Those who know Jesus are changed by Jesus. You know what that looks like? It doesn't mean that you're perfect from from today forward in your day-to-day life. What it means is when you fail, it hurts. How do you know what it feels like to know you did something stupid and not just because of the consequences of it but because you haven't honored God, it hurts. That's what Christianity looks like sometimes. When we mess up, we want to change. When we go through a season of rebellion, we repent and we return to the Lord under his cleansing grace. That's Part of what it means to be Jesus' friend. You obey his commands, and when you don't obey his commands, it hurts, and you repent that you might obey his commands. By the way, some of you, and I know which of you, I'm thinking of a few of you in particular, but it's not, but there's more than that. Some of you are going to hear this, and you're going to start building a list of all the ways you know you're not a Christian because you're not perfect yet. Stop that. If you're convicted when you sin, that's a good evidence that you've got Jesus. Unless you just don't care. Is your trust in Jesus for salvation? Then you're saved. And it will make you want to change. That's being a friend of Jesus. But this leads me to the other half of friendship with Jesus that I think is so cool for us today. Jesus said he was a friend of the disciples because he revealed to them God's plan. But today, we who know Jesus have a greater revelation than even the disciples had sitting in the upper room because we have the perfect, never-changing Word of God to show us exactly who God is and how we might know God and how we might please God. We have Scripture. The Apostle Peter, one of the guys in the room when Jesus said this stuff, told us how important the written-down Word of God is. In 2 Peter one 19 to 19-21, Peter wrote... Spoken in the old days. And let's be honest. How many of you think, man, it would have been cool to be in the room and hear Jesus speak these words? How many of you think it would have been really cool to see the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain? But Peter says, I got something better. I got something better for you. Peter says, the written down word of God is more sure for us who have those written down words than any wow experience of the men of the past. God inspired the authors of Scripture to write down for us words that we should follow with all of our hearts. You want to be a friend of Jesus? Believe in Jesus. Love Jesus and keep his commands, which you have written for you in the Holy Bible. Friends of Jesus, true friends of Jesus, are Bible people. Because we've been saved by Jesus, because we love Him, because we want joy in honoring Him, we read, study, learn, and obey the Scriptures. So find joy. Rejoice in the friendship of Jesus. Let's go to point number four. Last one today. You still with me? Okay. Okay. Point four, love our sovereign God. Verses 15, for verses 16 and 17. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So, man, I've given you guys a lot of ego stroking today, haven't I? All this talk about the love of God, being loved by God, being the friend of God, it might put a person in danger of getting a puffed-up opinion of his own goodness. Are you doing that? I hope not. You might be thinking, oh, if God loves me so much... I must be pretty spectacular. If God calls me his friend, I must have something he lacks and that he can find in me. God must be pretty lucky to have me, right? No, no. That is not the way of things. God is not our friend because he, we caught his eye. Oh, I'm so impressed by Ben. I must want to be his friend. That's me with Ben, but that's not God with Ben. We were helpless, hopeless rebels on our own. So were the disciples of Jesus. If God loves us, it's because of him, not because of us. Jesus tells the disciples, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. They didn't come find him and seek him out. They didn't come to serve him out of their goodness. Jesus found them, selected them, called them, and brought them to himself. They cannot take credit for their position. And I will tell you that the same thing is true for every single person who is a believer. None of us chose God on our own. Instead, all who have come to Jesus in faith were first chosen by God. Whenever we talk about salvation... We must remember that first and foremost. Our salvation is a gift of God. Our belief was sparked by God changing our hearts. Our salvation is the work of God from start to finish. If you realize, by the way, that you were saved by a sovereign God, a lot of things are going to become true for you. You will believe that the God who saved your soul can save anybody. How good is that news? You will believe that God can use even your feeble life as a witness to draw people to Himself, and it's His work, not yours. You will be overwhelmed with gratitude for Jesus as you realize that He saved you without you bringing a bunch of goodness to the table. You didn't even bring your own faith to the table. In Ephesians 2, Paul says it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are saved By grace, God's kindness and unmerited favor. We are saved through faith, not by our acting out some sort of religious ritual or being super good or doing good works. And the faith that saves us, Ephesians says, is not our own doing. It's the gift of God. That is what keeps us from boasting. We did not first choose God. God first chose us us now here's a question for you trick question did you choose God if you say no you're wrong crud some of you guys are gonna have to retake the test are you a Christian then you chose God willingly joyfully and freely but that's because God first moved you to desire him Ain't nobody a Christian who didn't choose to follow Jesus. The choice just wasn't because you came up with it. God chose you, changed you, then you chose him. You like that better? Paul also said, We who are saved by God are his workmanship created for good works. We do good works after we're saved, not before our salvation, certainly not to earn our salvation, And Jesus says something really, really similar. He said, he chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. The Lord wants your life to be marked by the fruit of obedience once you are saved. And that fruit includes you first believing. God God chose you, God changed you so you believe. It means you trusting, following him, choosing him. That's fine, I don't care if you use that word. That's the fruit of God having done a work in you. But it also is the fruit of you, fruit in your Christian life, is you obeying Jesus. It's you sharing the good news of Jesus with others so they can believe. It'll be the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things show up in the life of those who have the fruit of God coming out of them because they're friends of Jesus. And then as Jesus rounds out the section for today, look at him go back to stuff that he's already said to us as examples of fruit that will abide if you love him and if you're his friends. The first one is fruitful, fruitful prayer. Those who love God will obey God's commands. As we obey, we'll see our hearts changed. We'll talk to God in prayer. The more we know God, the more we love him. The more our prayers are going to be in accord with his will, the more we know him, the more we love him. And the more that we pray in accord with the will of God, the more we're going to find that our prayers are answered by God because they are prayers truly in Jesus' name. And then verse 17 brings to mind the very first thing Jesus said would be obedience and evidence of our loving God, saying, These things I command you so that you will love one another. We will. If we love Jesus, love one another. We will, if we love Jesus, lay down our lives for one another. We will, if we love Jesus, value one another, urge one another toward godliness, and help one another through times of hardships and sorrows. In his commands for us, Jesus has called us to show our love for him by loving God and loving neighbor. These two commandments summarize the whole law of God. So let me urge you to start by loving God. If you've never come to Jesus Christ to ask him for grace, run to Jesus and get under his mercy. Believe in Jesus. Believe that you need his grace. Ask him to save your soul and ask him to be the Lord of your life. Soon enough you'll realize it's because you did not choose him but he chose you. And once you know Jesus, I want you to think about ways to love God more and love others better. If you know Jesus, your life is going to be marked by a heart that seeks to obey Jesus. Thanks be to God. This call is not about you trying to be good enough to earn your way to God. And thanks be to God. This is not about you doing things that would make God keep loving you because you can't change it. The call for you to love God through obedience is the call for you to do the thing that will give your heart its greatest joy because it's all about living in the joy of knowing that the God who made you loves you with a love beyond anything you could ever imagine. And as Jesus said, you abiding in that love. Let's pray together. Father, as we bow here, we desire to know you and love you and be faithful to you. Help us remember Jesus and allow that remembering Jesus to result in us obeying Jesus Help us to be, in fact, people who are faithful. Help us to be, Lord, I'd be thrilled if today everyone here who knows you would just walk out of this room utterly amazed that you would love them with love that's beyond anything we've ever imagined. And let that love motivate us to be your friends. That's our prayer in Christ's holy name. Amen.